Welcome back to Ball with Bulls. Wait a minute. I'm T-Dub. And to my right, or right in front of me, I have my host, <laughs> T-Jackson. <laughs> what up? Or Is it official? No, no. Well, no. Last time, <laughs> last time you got offended when I said guest host. He was like, I'm a host, man. I'm family. I'm a host. Bro, I'm just oh. saying, when you're on the show like 20 times, I mean... <laughs> I think it's official. <laughs> no, but it's been a minute, man. We rap on um, of course, on, on a text message. Mainly me. I just it does well. Yeah, I'm the one. Doug, we I'm in a little thread, you know, with D and I got tone, and I just like tweet. I mean, text maybe like five minutes, and just look at me like I'm crazy. Somebody <laughs> one saying something. Maybe five minutes, I got an opinion about something. So, you know, we've been talking about the Bulls on the phone at least, but uh, we haven't talked in a minute. Yeah, on the podcast, of course. Uh. Yeah, man, good to see, you, man. Oh What's man, good? yeah, man. It's always it's always good to see see my brothers, man. Family got C Dub, and we got Doug here today, man. It's it's good, man. You know, I don't get out much, man. And you know, I just had to <laughs> had the big <laughs> surgery. You know, it's my first surgery ever, so I'm just happy. Uh, I'm recovering from that, man. So I've been laying low lately. Well, you look good. I know you. I know you had. Yeah, I don't see any kind of imperfection unless you wear makeup. No, nah, you're not. You're gonna, you're not gonna see. It. <laughs> but my um, yeah, the eye, man. Every day, I will say, man, I'm I'm starting to see a little bit more and more every day. So, uh-huh. I'll never get a hundred percent of my vision back, but I'm gonna the what I got right now is much better than, than pre-surgery. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah, man. So, you could you could drive and everything. You good? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. I went back to work this week. You know, so I'm uh, yeah, man. I'm blessed, man. Super happy. Uh, I did mention we have a guy, uh, Doug. Doug I, I was invite Doug because he's he's my only bullish friend on Twitter. Actually, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. I'm not. Twitter's gone, so you know, they can get the joke. But now, uh, Doug, man, what's up, man? I guess that makes me your ex friend now. Is that <laughs> true? too bad? There we go. We can't, st- can't stop. The- yeah, no, it's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry. What you did there? I see what you did there. <laughs> Well, I've been like a the, dad for 20 years. Like any any opportunity is going to be taken. You know, it's it's honed in and perfected now. Uh, but yeah, thrilled to be here. Thank you for for having me. Yeah, I know if if, if if there's someone who ever who can always talk bulls, you know, especially from the you know financial standpoint, an economic standpoint, that's the guy. I like wrapping up with you, Doug. Um, yeah, but you know, before, before what's up, man? No, I was gonna say, man, Doug, man, he be having like the salary cap numbers and all that stuff. Like, man, I just. I, I talk on court, man. Like Doug is on it, man. That's why he's on the show because, like, <laughs> yeah, he, he covers that section of the show. You know, he covers the section of the show. But you know, before I get started, I want to owe OD an apology. OD yeah. apology. You know, he may not remember this. He was probably he was probably drunk watching the, watching the Bulls game. But about <laughs> in your apartment, about uh, like I don't know how many years ago it was maybe four or five years ago. My apartment yeah. or my old house? Apartment. Oh, it was a while ago. It, it was a while ago. And you had, you, had asked, you had asked me, man. You threw it, threw it out. I think it's me, probably Dave. I don't know if Rook was there or not. But he was like, yo, man, you going to take uh, Jalen Brown or was that Levine? Which one you want? <laughs> I, re- I remember this. <laughs> I remember this. <laughs> and, I, and at the time, at the time, you know, I, I've been saying what I've been saying, you know, for like past three years about Zach Levine is that, you know, you know Zach has to upside with the offense and the, and the athleticism. You know, Jalen Brown at the time wasn't as uh, sharp as an offensive player as he is now, but he had defense, of course. He's not, he's not too as hell, but 
I just like to bounce to Zach at the time. So I get upset. Well, yep. Let me hear it, man. <laughs> well, although you, you're right, but although, you know, maybe if Zach played alone with Tatum and, uh, you know, maybe things would be different, but I don't think Zach would be a, a, as deep as a player, all around player. So I think you, I think you won that argument, man. I think you yeah. won that argument right now. And Jalen Brown is doing this with one hand because he absolutely has no left hand. Yeah, and I love Jalen Brown. I was love. <laughs> I never hated Jalen Brown at all. And you're right; he goes right all the time. Yeah, he goes right all the time. But Jalen Brown, man, I just feel like he 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 has more of impact, man. Zach might edge him on the stats, like his impact on the game, and maybe it's because of his defensive presence and all that stuff too. With that too, but I saw it, man, years ago. Yeah, I just didn't. I just didn't know if. If he had the offense, um, I, I knew that it. he has now, if if because because there were games where I saw he reluctant to like be aggressive offensively, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like, he 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 loves taking to the hoop and dunk on somebody. I love that about him. Love, love the defense, but I didn't know if he had that that offensive mentality in him. You know, he he certainly has. And I, I, I say that because you know, <clears throat> you know, was been playing pretty well by Zach Levine. And one of the things that doesn't bring to the game is a defensive presence on the floor. And the playmaking ability. And the playmaking ability on the floor. Okay. Which is uh which is why um the Bulls are one of the main reasons why I guess players in the Bulls right now are currently flourishing or getting much better to watch on TV, <laughs> much more competitive without that living on the floor. So things look different now, man. Things look different. Yeah. Um, that's that. Um, so Doug, I mean, in general, man, you know, um, right now I watch the Lakers and watch Kobe White do his thing on the floor. What's the, what's the, why do you think the Bulls are playing much better without Zach Levine on the floor? I mean, Is because it, Kobe White's a superstar all of a sudden. So, <laughs> but why though? Why, 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 why is he playing this way now? I think it's just shots available. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe to some extent, people talked a lot about if Kobe White, or sorry, if DeMar DeRozan was traded, if Zach Levine was gone, Pat Williams was going to shine. And uh, earlier in the season, I said, I think if those guys were gone, Kobe White would be the one that would maybe step up. I didn't know he had this in him. I'm not remotely projecting that I said he would be like this good, but I thought if anyone, he has like the shot creation skills. And Patrick Williams hasn't really shown that. So I thought, give him more opportunity. Kobe White could soak up a lot more shots, and you'd just see what would happen. And uh, we've seen what would happen, and Kobe White all of a sudden in high volume looks really good. And sometimes, guys, they need enough touches to look good. Like Kobe White in low volume was shooting like 35% from three, and all of a sudden he gets gets the ball in his hands more. Maybe he gets a better feel for it, you know, I always hesitate to ever use myself in a comparison to an NBA player. But when I play basketball, like if I'm playing with people who are a little bit worse than me and I touch the ball a lot, my shooting is like on fire. And if I play with people a little bit better than me and they're like, we're only going to give you open threes. And all of a sudden I can't hit the broad side of a barn. <laughs> and it's just like, I just need to touch the ball enough. Like I don't need to dribble drop. I just need to touch the ball enough to get a feel for it. And maybe Kobe White's that guy. He just, he needs to have the ball in his hands enough to all of a sudden feel comfortable taking those shots and also knowing there's no other option. Like, it's me. There's no one else. It's me. And then that, like, takes that hesitancy out of his mind. Like, if you feel like everyone on the floor is better than you, you start hesitating and being like, yeah, I should pass the ball to DeMar or to Zach or to whoever 
And when you no longer feel like everyone on the floor is better than you and you know you're going to be the guy, all of a sudden you you stop thinking and you just go. And I think maybe that's what we've seen with Kobe White a little bit. Yeah, you, know, you make me sound smart because I said this. So I remember I did, was the, did a podcast earlier, um, just me and Dave on the podcast, and a question came up about him starting, you know, who's going to start a, the starting spot, you know, of, a, of a, um, uh, what you call it from um, uh Javon Carter. Yeah, Javon Carter. I'm about to call him Tory Craig. Javon Carter. <laughs> and 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 I remember saying, you know, I clearly think, you know, Kobe's a better player. He should win the spot. And one of the things I always said about Kobe is that we always asked, like, you know, uh, how can Kobe be better? How can he play much much better on the floor? Uh, you know, can he handle being a point guard with Lamar and Zach on the floor? One of the things I've always said is that he needs to be ball dominant. He he sees the game, but he can't. He needs, he needs the game to react to what he does on the floor as a point guard. If Zach and DeMar are on the floor, he can't control the floor of the game. And he can control the floor of the game. He has the ball, and he has permission to run point guard and play his game. And just like you, the obviously, more shower opportunities. I think he's a more violent guy, right, instead of a sharpshooter. He's a scorer, so he needs more shots. And so that couple, couple with um, him being able to make, you know, actually dictate the offense, and pick his own shots and have guys kind of move to his beat. I think it's is 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 why he's playing better. A D. Um, what, what's, your, what's your assessment as far as Kobe White and why he's playing much better? No, I agree with everything both you guys said. Um, also, man, like it's the confidence too that knowing knowing that you you're not gonna get yanked, you know, if you make a mistake and things like that. And, and like you said, he's always been a scorer. You know, he's he's a decent playmaker and everything. But even in Carolina, he was a scorer. Like he, what he, he played one year at North Carolina, right? Yeah. Right. And he put up 16 a game in that offense and everything, but he got his shots and he was somewhat of a playmaker too, but the ball was always in his hands, you know? And I'm just saying, it, you know, like, is Kobe White a better player than Zach Levine, like skill wise? No, I don't think so. But with the ball in his hands, he has a bigger impact than Zach. You know, I don't know if that's decision making, if, if that's like, OK, everybody, the, the supporting cast know that they're going to get more touches and opportunities. So they and and that's all playing playing into it, too, you know, because, um, you know, sometimes the ball stops with 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 Zach and DeMar, you know, just kind of taking taking turns going one on one and things like that. You know, people, the ball, you know, the ball moves around better. You know, I, I was my biggest, biggest criticism of, of this team is the offense all the time. I used to always say everything is one-on-one. You know, everything is one-on-one. Everything is one-on-one. The ball is actually moving around. What are they, uh, six and three since Zach McGon? Something yep. like that? Dude, yeah, something that's, like that. Yeah, that's about to be seven and three. Yeah. About to be seven and three. Yeah, six and three. I, yeah, I, it, I feel it, comfortable saying that, too. Yeah, yeah, look at the game right now, yeah. And Kobe's shooting 48, no, 50% pretty much for the three-point line. That's insane. It's just, it's just absolutely insane. And one of, one of the complaints about Zach is I've always <laughs> said this is that, and I love so this is reference, this sort of relates to what Corey, what Tory Craig said a while ago when Zach got hurt and we'll start playing better. Is that with Zach's on the floor, I as a fan don't know where the hell his shots are coming from. I don't. And I think that screws with the offense. DeMar, you know where DeMar likes the ball? You know when Vuce wants the ball? That Levine is all over the goddamn place. And I don't think guys know where to set up to get the ball when he gets the ball. He's random. Mm. And I think, and Tory Craig, 
I think uh, I think we have a couple of games after you know, the Bulls uh, start playing better, and he asked interview Tory Craig about why the team and himself is playing better. He said because I know where I'm gonna get to my shots. Wow, so said, I know where I'm gonna get my, I know where I'm get my shots. I'm like yes, that's the NBA offense. When guys on the offense know where to be, when guys penetrate, cut whatnot. And to your point, the Kobe is a point guard too as well. He can pass the ball. Guys know where Kobe likes to pass the ball, and I think Zach his his, his offensive game just it just kind of encourages guys to look and watch and not know where to go because he's mm-hmm. not a facilitator. So they kind of just watch him do his thing and hope he gets hot. And unless you're like, you know, <laughs> Kyrie Irving or Durant or something like that, well, Durant passed the ball, but unless you're like a really, really good shooter, he, and Zach is an okay shooter. He's like, you know, a good shooter, not a great shooter. He's a good shooter. Unless you're a great shooter, you could do that, but like, he's not that. And so I think guys just get stagnant. But with him out, they found a flow in the offense and they found out where to be on the floor in order to get shots and order to expect shots where guys go to work every day. They know their task. Mm-hmm. Go to work every day, you know what task you got to knock out. You know, you got a couple of random things going on. So the guys going to games now, they know where to be and when to be and how, when to get the ball. And you, you know, it's, you know, it's frustrating too. And I hate to cut you off. No, go ahead. Like when I when I watch Zach dominate the ball and everything, and even on offense, he doesn't even run a good pick and roll. Like when they try to do a two man game with him and Vooch and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's like the basic, you know, like that's why I say everything is one on one. So maybe it was a reason coach was limited to like, you know, one on one play with like him and DeMar and things like that, because like the pick and roll looks more fluid now with, yeah. Kobe, with Kobe and Vooch, with Kobe and Pat Will and things like that. I, I, we didn't see that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. And I hate to be we hate Zach. I, you know, I've been bragging about Zach since I've been on the staff forever on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the obviously deficiencies in this game. Um, so I, you know, I guess the sort of the question is, you know, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> do you guys think he's really hurt, Doug? Uh, or you think he just, he just, he just hold out because, like, number one, is he injured? And two, Doug, at this point in time, if he's demanding a trade, is this a good time for him to demand a trade in NBA? Well, certainly it doesn't seem like it's the peak of Zach's value by any stretch. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to walk back a couple of things you said and uh, in reply to a couple of things you said. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is true or not. So I'm going to throw this out there for your thoughts. Last year at the end of the year, uh, the Bulls went on that very famous 14 and 9 run where Arturis Karnaschovas bragged about it all offseason, about how great they finished the season and they beat good teams and they did whatever. And a lot of people would credit Pat Beverly for banging the floor the whole time. But the reason we won all those games was Zach was a legitimate 30 point, 50, 40, 90 guy mm-hmm. after the all-star break and just destroyed teams. Mm-hmm. And Kobe white is now like a 30, point, <laughs> 50, 40, 90 guy. And so right. it's not so much that I think Zach Levine is bad and they can't do this with Zach. You know, what makes them look really good is having a 50, 40, 90 guy scoring 30 points a game really efficiently. And Kobe has stepped into that role now, and Zach was playing really, really badly to start this year. And he was playing much, much worse than he was the past three years to start this year. And so I don't want to be like, oh, Zach all of a sudden is terrible and you can't win with Zach and whatever. Zach was playing terribly. And whether that was because he was mentally checked out and he's never going to check back in, like that might be true. But I don't want to make it sound like, well, Kobe's doing all the stuff that Zach couldn't do. And like, 
No, we saw at the end of last year over a longer stretch than what we've seen with Kobe so far, Zach impacted winning in that way and really helped this team. So I like to say there's seven dribble Zach and there's two dribble Zach. And if yes. you could get two dribble Zach, please a fantastic <laughs> player. Like everyone would love to play with two dribble Zach. Uh, but when you get seven dribble Zach, all of a sudden it's everything you just described. Like the offense grinds to a halt. You don't get good plays, like all this other stuff. And I don't know that there's any room for two dribble Zach to ever make an appearance on the bulls again. Um, you know, maybe not, but I did. I just want, those are just some loose thoughts I have because I think people, because Zach was playing so badly, have gone a little bit overboard and forgotten that this dude, when he was on is much, much better than he was at the beginning of the season. Like he's not like a 32% three point shooter. Um, so anyway, just want to throw those things out. And no, then, no. And, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're right. You know, have a great player. We have a great player in the team. Like Kobe's playing great. He's playing like all stuff right now. You're going to win yeah. games. He's taking over that role. And you know, this is also the bigger things for Zach, right? We, you know, you know, we we know he's a great player. We know he's going to run and be great. Um, he plays at the high at the high level with the Bulls. Um, you know, of course, there's you know big issues with him. You know, not coming through in the playoffs. You know, um, for quarter things. You know, things he has improved upon, like playmaking, which separates you, you know, you know, from from being just an all star you know, to a great player or superstar. And what I when we first got Zach. I projected him to eventually have a crazy one, two years where he's almost superstar level. That's what I was hoping for. And I haven't seen it. And you're not going to win a championship if you don't have a guy playing at a high level, all-star level, superstar level. You're just not going to win it and win anything. And for the Bulls to win, he has to be that. You know, he has to be better than Lamar. Lamar is like 40 years old and you're still not better than Lamar. That's something weird with that. There's something weird with that. So I think the most like to your point, yeah, he's a great player. And obviously the Bulls are better with him on the floor. Um, especially, especially, I'd like to see him, you know, uh, <laughs> if he does come back, how do you guys think he's going to fit in with this? Cause I don't, I don't, let me back up a little bit. So, so you saying his value is low right now. Why do you think his value is low as far as trade value? It's because the way the Bulls are playing was because, um, sort of bad timing. Yes. I mean, he started off the season really bad. And so I think it's easy for people to forget that he was like a maybe say 62% true shooting guy for three straight years mm-hmm. on massive volume. Um, and, and people just have recency bias. So they're like, wow, he played really bad to start the season. And then, you know, the bulls all of a sudden took off as soon as he, he got hurt. And there's been a thing following Zach his whole career. Like, does he generate wins or does he just score points? And so certainly the actual results on the floor are not helping that narrative any. And so whether, you know, two things could be true. Maybe in a different situation, Zach is is better, but it's going to be harder to sell someone on that. So if you're a general manager that had doubts about Zach all along, but you were also a little bit desperate and then Zach was playing really great and then he went out and then the Bulls tanked, you could probably sell yourself pretty easily on him. And in the reverse situation now, if you're a little bit desperate and you also, we're a little bit out on Zach, and this this happens. You're like, nah, this isn't going to help me. And so, you know, it, it really just comes down to the mentality of each of the general managers who might be considering him. But certainly the circumstances all around with Zach's play, the team play, everything else, is not doing him any favors on the trade market. You hear a lot of the media now, he's overpriced. The Bulls have shopped him, can't find any takers. And... So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like I, I still think he'll get moved, and I, I think we'll get a return. 
But if you remember last year, there was a rumor the Knicks were going to give us two pretty heavily protected first rounders. And I think it was like Quinton Grimes and um, maybe it was quickly, but like some young players, maybe it was Toppin because they dumped Toppin anyway to the Pacers, mm -hmm. but like some young players and a couple of like lousy first round picks. And we were like, nah, hell no, that's nowhere near enough for Zach Levine. Like we would jump all over that offer today. Like we would take that so ridiculously fast today. And so like the offer now is going to be worse than that. If, if we trade him, um, it's going to be worse than that. Mm. I, I like, I, I like your, I like your thoughts about, um, about in general, um, you know, like I, 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 on my, on my news feed, I get all these, you know, articles about, you know, of course, trades, you know, trade, people have trade machines and all that kind of stuff. Like he's going to Sacramento. I'm like, if you go to Sacramento, that means the gym has to think like he's a plus in the team. And to this point, is he really plus in the team when you get rid of change that change that team? Is he really adding wins? D, what are your thoughts on uh on Zach Levine administrator? Well, uh I I stand with Doug. I, I still feel like he will get traded. Um, what I'm thinking about though, in the the rare possibility that he won't, what version of Zach Levine can coexist with like this Kobe and this this Bulls team all together? You know, is is that even possible? Because honestly, that's a that's something that we I think we don't think about. And that could be an option if it makes us better. If a, a certain version of Zach could come in and just fit right in and play off the ball and just kind of I don't know. If, I don't even know if he's capable of that. Do you do you guys think or what version two dribbles at? That's one of my biggest criticisms of this game is that one. Of, and just like Jalen Brown will post up once in a while. Like I don't like he doesn't do that. Like he, in and. In all these years, the one thing I see him improve on is the shooting more threes. He hasn't improved on passing. He doesn't have any kind of post up. But I see Jalen Brunson has a better post up game than him. That's a problem, you know. And and it's off the ball game. Well, Jalen Brunson is small, but he's strong as hell. But he posts. He, he has a post game. <laughs> <laughs> like that's like weird. And Zach doesn't have any of that. Uh, and also Zach off the ball. I don't know. Maybe you call it coaching. I have issues with coaching, of course, but. But yeah, he off the ball games that there, so you get seven dribble, uh, seven dribbles at, like Doug was saying. Um, so yeah, I, I think we've all want him to. Stacey King says it all the time, catch and shoot and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't happen on the floor, whether it's coaching or just Zach not developing his game to suit the team. Uh, so Doug, how you think the Bulls? How you think if Zach comes back? I think uh, actually, I don't think I don't think he's gonna traded. Honestly, I just don't think so. But how do you how do you how do you think uh, if Zach comes back? Will he fit in with uh, the Bulls? Will, will, will Kobe still take them the same amount of shots? Will he dominate the ball, run the offense? I was saying earlier in the year, what I would love to have seen the Bulls do is put DeMar DeRozan on the bench in a Manu Ginobili role and start Kobe and Zach. And, and my thought is, like, I want to split up Kobe and DeMar as much as possible because I feel Zach could play off the ball with either of them and then have them coach him into that role. I would wonder, and I don't know for sure, but I'd wonder if with what has happened while Zach's been out, if when he comes back, they can say, look, we tried to trade you. There are no takers. Your agent know this, knows this. We need you to play in this way. And if they could get him to buy in a little bit better. I also wonder if he's really had the opportunity to play that way a whole lot in his career either. It's not like the Bulls have had a bunch of dominant point guards who can handle the mm -hmm. ball and distribute the ball and allow him to play off the ball his whole career here. Yeah, Zoe, he looked good with Zoe. Well, Zoe's a great yeah. player. But yeah, we had but yeah, Zoe was a, a pure point guard. And so, you know, you had that small stretch. 
Demar is not like a great passer. He's like a dribble the ball into the ground and then, you know, like if a double team comes, he might make a pass, but he's not like a visionary passer. Mm -hmm. He's not someone who's going to set up a bunch of plays and hit Zach on screens and all this other stuff. So, you know, some of this, like, I don't want to say like Zach gets zero blame for all these things you're saying, which I think are correct and what he should do and would be great. But I don't think he's been like flush with opportunities to do that. You know, the team has needed him to be an on-ball guy a lot of his time here. And so he's toned his skills in that way. Um, there's reasons why that's existed. And and so I actually have a little bit more hope than I think most people that Zach could come in and be reintegrated into this offense differently. But I do think it's going to be hard and a tough coaching job to just try to distribute shots between Kobe, Zach, Vooch, and Damar. You know, Vooch would be the guy I would pull shots from, but you know, he's quietly kind of a whiner. Like he whined in the offseason about like, I need a role. I need to get more mm -hmm. touches. I need offense should run through me. Um, and, and like, I don't know that any of these guys want to give up shots. And, and that's really on Donovan to figure out a way to sell them on, on this. And, and that might be challenging with all of them, except they didn't give them to Kobe and, you know, to a lesser extent, Pat Williams, because those guys were younger. It was easy just to be like, yeah, you're not the man, but I think it's going to be hard to put Kobe back in the bottle and then get a high functioning team, you know, out of it. So it, it's going to be a tremendous coaching job if they try to bring Zach in, or it's going to require one, whether we have one or not. It's a different question. I actually like Donovan a, a fair amount and think he is pretty good with players, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a really tough job for him when if when and if Zach returns to the team. Who, oh, yeah. who, who did you want to um, insert if you uh, if you sat Demar? I probably like Caruso, um, just like a role playing guard. My thought is like I would always want two of the four guys between Zach Kobe. Vooch and Damar. I view those as the four guys in the Bulls that could create shots. At any point in time, I always want two of them. And then I want Zach with the ball in his hands as least as possible. So he's playing off the ball as much as possible. And then that requires you splitting up Damar and Kobe as much as possible. So Zach's always either off ball with Damar or always off ball with Kobe. Would be my ideal thought. And then maybe if you tried that, it would just completely suck. I don't know. But that was... <laughs> that was my thought of how I would try to maximize guys' abilities into what I think and try to get as much two dribble Zach as possible. Um, and even ideally zero dribble Zach. If I could get him into the Clay Thompson, like 37 points on seven dribbles or whatever that game was like Especially. years ago, that was super famous. Um, <laughs> like that style of Zach would be what I, I think if Zach ever played that way, he would be coveted by every team in the league. He's a good yeah. shooter. He's that Clay Thompson. It's, it seems like he's that. But let me back up a little bit. By the way, I love that dub because like the Bulls are winning the championship anyway. So like, it's like, what do you what do you think? Bishop DeMar is going to like ruin something? No, it's just he's trying to figure out stuff. I kind of like that because DeMar is older. And, and to your point, you want to optimize the players. And you don't need, you, you know, three play <laughs> those three players don't have to score as ever as shown. They really can't score. Um, 20 points each, right? So why not, why not give them the space, right? Why not, why not give Kobe his space and, and Levine the space? They had DeMar come out, be the be six man of the year or something, dropping 20 points a game off the bench. Um, not a bad thought, especially now since Kobe is uh, is playing so well. I, I kind of I like that just, just, for, just for fun. I don't think it's going to happen. No, yeah, I, I like, no chance. No I chance like that happen. too. I will flip one thing though, and I know this is unpopular. I've been saying it forever though. 
I would not start AC, but I would start uh, Drummond. And I would Twin Towers um, with DeMar nah, on the bench. He is not doing it. He doesn't even do that in the preseason. Has he done that in the preseason at least? Dude, Drummond is productive every time he's out no, there. He doesn't. Billy Donovan does not want to play around that. If I was coaching, I would have done it a couple of times just for fun. At least in the preseason and do it or something. Like, hey, well, how does it look? Billy Donovan is not having Drummond. He's he's just not going. It's not going to happen. And there reasons very reason very very. I think there's different reasons why. Of course, why he he doesn't want it to happen. But I'm all for experimenting once in a while. For the fact the fact that he hasn't done it, like in a long, in a bad game or something something like that. So we, so we can at least see it a little odd. But uh, I don't think I'll work yeah. for the long term. But I would like to see it once in a while. Like I, like you know the Bulls aren't winning the championship. You know, try some things. <laughs> It'd be fun for me to watch that happen and see what happens. I mean, he's uh, just the best, the best rebounder in basketball the past eight years. I mean, did, he, did he lead the league in steals one couple years ago? Or was he top three? Possibly. He was like, to, yeah. he was like top three in steals a couple years ago. All star player. Yeah. So Drummond is a is a very very good backup center. Um, I think she, I think he should have played one last year. Definitely. I love um, me some Andre Drummond. The only thing I'm going to say about that, that I've been feeling Drummond should play a lot more than he does. Like I actually think he's better than Vucevic. Um, or at least this, or at least the same, um, different, but yeah, so the different. thing is, I think like he doesn't, Andre Drummond only gives you what Andre Drummond can do. And like Vujovic all of a sudden sometimes gets in his head that he can do like so much more than he can do. And he'll give you like a bunch of like three from nine games from the field, like from your center, just like, just brutally awful. But regardless of that opinion. Nine the shots. Reason, you, <laughs> the, reason you can't, the reason you can't do that is because, like, if Andre Drummond had to play 25 minutes in a game, he'd be two breaths away from cardiac arrest. <laughs> like, this dude is so gassed after he's on the floor for like eight minutes. Like, I think he is like a conditioning coach away from being an all star again. Yeah. If someone just got into his head and is like, dude, you just, you just got to be in shape. That's it. Like, you know, he, because, Man, does he make so much happen when he's on the floor? He does. He just can't sustain it. And then you have no backup center if you start the two of them. That's the big uh, problem. No one, there's no one to come in. So, like, I think that the only reason I think you can't really do that for any length of time is you just don't have enough bodies because the way the roster is built. It's like, and in, in getting rid of Derek Jones Jr., you don't even have like the small ball <laughs> option. And now that Tory Craig is out for 10 weeks. You don't really even have the like Tory Craig could maybe play a small ball center. Like if Drummond or Vooch is out, like I don't even know who your center is now. Like right. Julian Phillips, Patrick Williams, like those are probably like the next up at center. And like that's probably a pretty scary scenario <laughs> for the team. So I think that's the only thing stopping you from seeing that look right now is uh this just the lack of of depth on the roster in those those big positions. I like, mm-hmm. I like I like your thought about Drummond. I don't think he's better than Vooch, but but what, I think what, what's so fascinating about him coming in the game that he does the opposite of what Vooch does. He's up on the pick and roll. He 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 guards the point guard, gets steals, and you know what I'm saying. He blocks a shot. He sinks in the paint. He's not. That's why he gets rebounds all the time because he doesn't. He's not the three point line. <laughs> so that's in the shot. He's in the paint. So he's like Bizarro Vooch, Vooch, right? He's like does everything Vooch doesn't do well. So he comes in the game. Oh, he, that guy's doing stuff Vooch doesn't do. Great, and so that he's a. Perfect, perfectly. I think it compliments. He is a good backup center in the league. I, I've always liked Drummond. I was happy the Bulls got him. He could start for a lot of teams. I he's feel yeah. he could get the minutes. He could start for a lot of teams, and he's going to also give you great entertainment value because every <laughs> game he's going to do like three super Drummondy things. 
Is like he's gonna like go for this massive dunk and back iron it, and the ball's gonna like fly to half court off the rim. <laughs> then he's gonna like do some ridiculous spin move between his legs and like dunk all over some dude like a play later, or he's gonna like steal the ball and go cross court, uh, make a bunch of crazy dribbles, and then just like lose the ball on the way up. Like it's right. just gonna be entertainment. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be something amazing followed by something awful. But it's going to be high value every time he's on the court. I, I love watching him. Like, you just never know what you're going to get. It's either going to be all-star or Shaq in the fool. And that, there's, like, nothing in between with him. That was like, uh, remember Omer uh, Ashik? He just thought he he thought he can dunk on everybody. He tried to <laughs> dunk it every time he got the ball. I used to, I, I like that in him, but, like, nah, dude, get a counter move or something. But he tried to dunk on everybody. Yeah. Not sure. You know, no, I apologize. I started a conversation. I didn't even introduce Doug properly, man, because I, I assume people know who he is. <laughs> Everybody know this guy, man. I love the fact no, no. that I need no introduction. You know? No introduction at all. also nothing to introduce me about either, so it's, it's fine. Well, yeah, I was wondering, because, like, what do you do now, Doug? So tell, <laughs> tell, tell people who just listened to you for, like, an hour, like, that's the same Doug I was on, like, eight I, other times. I do <laughs> a podcast with our mutual friend, Fred Pfeiffer, uh, whenever Fred organizes it, because I'm too lazy to ever organize it, so... Uh, props to Fred for keeping it going. And then once every two months, I put out my own podcast. Usually when someone says something dumb on Twitter and I can't respond to them in 140 characters and I want to rant about it, I'm like, this made me mad enough to go do a podcast. Um, <laughs> so that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of what I do. Uh, yeah, I know D, man. D, you know, rapper, I, um, great husband, oh, great father. Yeah, yeah, I try. Yeah, no, can I can great. I say something random? Go I don't ahead. want to sidetrack, but dude, it took me it took me forty years to discover uh pomegranate juice. Dude, what? It's fire, dog. So it's funny that you said it because I grew up eating pomegranates. My mother, dude, I never I never ate pomegranates either so, recently. So we used to do we used to do it on little. Um, I don't know you get pomegranates, but my mother I used to have a competition who could peel the, get the many seeds and like pile up the. Um, the seeds on the other uh, who have more uh he eat, he eat the fastest on paper towel so yeah i grew up pomegranates yeah i love it's, it's been a minute since i had one my mom gave me one like two weeks ago so i got extra pomegranate i put it in the back seat of my car and i forgot it was there <laughs> but the good thing about pomegranate is that when it spoils it just it, does, it covers so hard it doesn't really smell it just like you know gets yeah, old this stuff, stuff is expensive too man yeah like, man they got the um the like, like the 15 little 16 ounce <laughs> thing they sell yeah. Orange juice or something. They have strawberry. Uh, they have a they have a couple of flavors. I I, I bought the juice before, um, but it's nothing like eating it though. You know, from the um, you know, eating the seeds or yeah. I gotta say, I got whiplash from this whole conversation because I've only <laughs> had like a pomegranate like a couple times in my life, mm -hmm. and I was like, this is delicious, but it's too much work. Screw this. Yeah. But that's why you got the fifteen dollars juice. You, you said can... <laughs> pomegranate juice, and I was like. Oh man, I bet that's some good stuff. Yeah. I gotta go get me some of that. And then you're like, it's like $15 a bottle. And I was back to forget that. There's and, no yeah. juice you, you, I'm paying. Unless it gets me drunk, there's nothing I'm paying $15 a bottle for. No, it's funny that you say too this, you know what? This this kind of feels like like some really like sweet red wine, though. Kind of. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. But like without the alcohol, but it ah, oh, it's it's amazing. I was just I was telling my wife, I'm like. Yeah, I want my whole life without <laughs> pomegranates, man. <laughs> I don't need mm -hmm. new expensive habits. 
Like right. it any, is any, anything that like is really good, but also really expensive. And I just am not aware of, I don't want to become aware of it. I just want to <laughs> live in ignorance of that thing. So I no longer want it or crave it. So now, so I, now I, now I feel like I just need to either find like a $3 pomegranate juice or I need to avoid <laughs> pomegranate juice. It's like one of these two, two things well, need to occur. Well, see the see the one, the one thing about pomegranate is that you understand why it's expensive, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, it's, it's, right, right. pain get these juice out the seeds, man. So we so need to you, create a good you know pomegranate, pomegranate juicing system that just. You know, I wonder. I bet she doesn't want to lie. I'm it sure, like the, I'm sure. However, they make it, they've got a thing that does. Oh yeah, and it costs like a billion dollars. It was great for the heart too, man. So benefits. It's expensive, you know. It's good for the heart. That's just like eleven dollars for a little bottle. I don't know, but nine dollars or something. It's expensive though for what you, for what you get. But every once in a while, I partake in. Uh, I'm still gonna try it. And no, I'm gonna try love it, it yeah. and then I'm gonna hate you for giving me a new expensive <laughs> habit. It's good, man. <laughs> it's a pomegranate juice. It's a pomegranate <laughs> juice. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Back on track as we progress. Uh, yeah, so. Pat Williams, you know what? Does. So, like, I, you, when you were you were one of the proponents of uh, seeing like the big big bulls run through, like break it all up because you foresee you foresaw this team in average. I hope Zach Levine would be great, but it didn't happen. But you like this team would be average. Would it be fun to watch all these young players just like take ownership of their own careers, get more time on the floor? And one guy who's gotten better the last ten games is averaging about fourteen points a game is Pat Williams. About damn time. About damn time, right? He's looking like I thought he would look like in the last year. <laughs> this is what we thought uh, year, year two of Pat Will. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah legitimately year two because he's injured. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he, he's like a year and a half behind schedule. Looks like. Um, what do you now? Of course, this is one of the sad effects, of course, of uh, of him being on the floor more. Zach's on the floor. He's on the floor more. He's not sitting in the corner like Pippen did in the Houston Rockets office in the nineties. In the corner doing nothing. <laughs> um, uh, he's actually all over the floor. Um, can make plays. Uh, he's not standing in the corner. And the, my, give, him a, give him a three-point shot. He's aggressive. He looks more confident. He looks more like he's engaged in the game. Like it's a natural flow of the office. Like he's, on the floor. he's not thinking. He gets the ball, he reacts. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he's making, he's seeing the floor, he's seeing making basketball plays. And a couple of times, I think I saw him rebound the ball really aggressively a couple of times. <laughs> Even that, which was good. Yeah. Uh, D, what do you see? What do you see from Pat, man? Uh, you, you like what you see? I love what I see, man. And you know, and what can we attribute it to? It's just the the spacing, the ball movement. And, and Doug, I know you said earlier that we can't blame everything on Zach's absence, and that because he, he's not here. But how do you explain a better ball movement like this? And people you know, being more open and confident and, and, and things like that, you know, the ball movement to me is number one. It's like night and day. Like, how do you explain that uh, with the absence of Zach? I think there's a direct correlation, you know, and not saying that he's the, that we can't win with him though, but I think the, the, the Kobe whites, the, the Pat wills, you know, everybody who, who take took that natural progression step up with, you know, with him gone. I think that's a result of like, Better floor spacing, you know, nobody, a lot of people not sitting and watching to seeing what he's going to do when he hog up, tw- you know, 14 seconds of the shot clock or whatever. Like, how? Do, 
to me, it's the it's the ball movement in the space, and, and I think that's a direct correlation of Zach not being here. Not to pile on him and, <laughs> and blame and say we can't do it with him, but that's what I think it is. Yeah, I I don't think it's as much as people. So I think I don't think you're wrong, but I also don't think it's quite as bad as people think it is. Like the amount of possessions Jack Zach just chews up the whole clock, I think is actually pretty limited relative to the reputation he has. Um, like there's there's like accuracy to it. It's like a a legend built on uh, fact, but then like the fact has reached legendary status much greater than the fact or, uh, you know, myth or whatever. So hmm. I think that's a factor, like for sure. I think it's accurate. I mean, we've seen this team play this well with Zach on the floor before, like in the Lonzo era and at the end of last year. Where it was balanced. And I, agree, and, oh. and I agree that the ball movement is a lot better. And I agree like more guys being more aggressive with just less guys soaking up possessions. They know they have to do more, so they think less about it and just do. Um, anyway, I don't. I don't guess I don't want to flip it back to Zach since we were talking about Pat Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it, but yeah, there's certainly a factor there. I would say, like, I don't think Pat is as much different as a lot of other people have, at least on offense. Defensively, he has shown kind of growth all year. Like, his defensive effort looks a little better. You see more block steals, a little bit more involvement. He seems like he's just taking a little bit step in terms of that defensive awareness of when he should be, where he should be, and, and making help at better times and things like that. Um, offensively, like his big games have still just been like, oh, I shot 8 of 10 today, you know, or I shot 8 of 11. Like his two 20-point games, he was 8 of 10 and 8 of 11, I, I want to say off the top of my head. I don't remember his three-point shooting each of them, but I'm pretty sure it was four or five and one and, and something similar in the other. So it's like, that's not like a sustainable offensive performance. Like, they're amazing performances to shoot that well. But, like, no one is so good that they just shoot 80% from the floor as a wing player. Like, right. those are just, like, crazy things. So as a creator, what I would like to see more from him, if he's going to be a creator, and I, I honestly just don't think he will be, but if he is, I want to see him taking, like, 15 shots a game for an extended stretch, like just have your attempts be high for an extended stretch. You know, show me you can take guys off the dribble. Like Pat still often, he kind of like dribbles a couple of times, sort of gets into the paint and then doesn't know what to do when he stops and he hesitates. Like, I don't think he really has that kind of dri- dribble creation game. And I've, I've not seen like a whole lot of that out of him, but that's fine. If he can shoot threes and play defense at a high level, like every team wishes they had five guys that could do that. You know, like if Pat was, does that and he's like say the fourth best player on a championship team maybe that's not a piece that is going to put you over the top and maybe that's all he'll be but that's still a really good piece right like it's you know Mm -hmm. still a piece and um that's kind of what i've always thought pat after i watched him play for a couple months for the bulls going back to his rookie season my first thought when we drafted him was this is like a low floor high ceiling player like a boomer bust kind of guy and after I watched him for two months, I'm like, I got this totally wrong. This is like a really high floor, but kind of low ceiling player. Like he mm. has a couple things. I think he totally can hang his hat on, which is I can defend like 80% of the players in the league and I can hit open threes. And like any guy who can do that is going to have a high floor. And then I just don't see anything with like the ball handling that suggests he's going to get into that. Like I said this a couple of years ago, Kobe White has like 10 times the shot creation skills as Pat Williams. And this was before Kobe broke out. And he's like a moderate offensive creator. Like Pat has so far to go to create moves and counter moves and all this other stuff. Um, 
but I'm excited. I'm excited that he's fulfilling that like high floor potential of like, yeah, he's a good defender, good three point shooter. That's a great place to start. And if those other skills come over time, you know, they certainly could, um, then all the better. No, this, think, this, go ahead, D. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna just follow up. You think he shoot the three well enough to to solely be a three and D guy? Yeah, I mean, like percentage wise, he's like forty percent on his career, basically. Um, I know he's a little off this year. Uh, he's, and he's got a couple of good games lately, but I mean, he's he's a solid like forty percent from three on his career. He's got kind of like a slow release, so he's not like he's not like Lonzo, right? Like Lonzo is the ultimate three and D guy plus other stuff. Um, where right. like Lonzo's release was really quick. So you could, you could get a lot, a lot of attempts. I don't know. You get a lot of attempts out of Pat, which is maybe the only, the only, only question I would have there. No, you mentioned his playmaking and, and correct me if I'm wrong guys. Like I remember, I remember, I remember seeing Pat first play in the Bulls. I remember he tried to be a playmaker. Am I missing, am I missing, misremembering this? I remember he was on the floor, having the ball, trying to make plays for a team, like a point guard. Hmm. I was like, I was like, that's interesting. And then, like, I think he got hurt. He kind of stopped doing that after a while. I think I watched, I, I don't know, I don't know if hurt. Maybe he's playing, but he stopped doing that after a while. Got hurt, came back, and he did not attempt to do that at all. He was just strictly like changed the shot, shot threes. But I remember him his first couple his initial games with the Bulls running a little point, being like a little point four, and I was really surprised by that. I didn't say he ran it well, but you could tell he liked dribbling the ball and playmaking. And it's somewhere. Some got in his head where they told him don't do that anymore. <laughs> and so I, I I still hold faith that he is that he wants to make plays. I'm not saying he's gonna be good at it, but to your point, though, I, I do think he because he's not he doesn't have all those crazy moves, crazy shots. He's like maybe four moves and that's it, right? Right. I think he could be a much better playmaker and and pull all those and put pull all pull all those you know handful of moves on a regular basis if he if he. If he gets the opportunity to be behind the ball, I want to see behind the ball. Am I crazy in this? I think I want to see him be the ball to court. I want to see him run pick a roll more. I want to see him initiate the offense more. I think he has it in him to be a playmaker. But am I misremembering when he first came in the game, Doug or D, D? Was he not trying to be a point forward? I remember him trying and being really, really awful at it. And then just, I think someone just said, like, dude, you really got to improve some areas before you start <laughs> trying to do this. Um, and I, I guess I'd look at it this way. If you're trying to win games and, and I don't mean it's like any game you're playing, you're trying to win. You never go like players don't people talk about tanking or whatever. No player suits up and is like, I'm going to lose this game. Like every player goes out there is trying to win the game and the coach is trying to win the game. And, and sometimes you make roster moves that make it less likely you're going to win. Um, but you're trying to win the games, but it, on a season, if your goal is to make the playoffs, I don't think you want Pat doing what you just described. <laughs> now, if you move Zach Levine and you move DeMar DeRozan and you say, you know what? We're really not going to make the playoffs and we are not going to extend DeRozan next year. And Zach asked out. So we're going to get rid of these two guys and we're going to bring back. Maybe, uh, maybe we, some of them go to the Lakers. Somehow we get maybe Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimara. And <sighs> we got some young guys and now we're going to see what these guys can do. And that scenario, I'm like, yeah, all about it. Hey, now your goal is to see what can everyone do? Like, we just saw what, what could Kobe White do when given a lot of opportunity. And it's a lot more than what anyone thought Kobe White could do three weeks ago. And I so have faith, I read it. <laughs> I mean, I liked Kobe White. I, I thought he was in for a good year. I talked about in the offseason, he was the mm -hmm. guy I was most excited about. Um, but I didn't see this 
and and I don't even know if this is sustainable. Like even now I'm watching it. I'm like, well, is this really just, you know, how is it going to be when defenses start like looking for him and he's on all the scouting reports now and they start sending double, like all this other stuff is going to happen. That's going to press him back down and, and he's going to then have to make more adjustments. But I'm all about like, if, if we make that move and we say, you know what, we're now going to start looking at next year already. Not necessarily like we're going to be as bad as possible and try and lose every game. But we're going to start looking at next year. We're going to bring in some more 25, 26-year-old guys, turn over some of the older, aging part of the roster. We're not going to worry about making the play-in. Then, yeah, we should be putting Pat Williams on the ball. I don't believe in it. Like, I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> but you try it, right? Like, you don't know. Like, you find out. Like, let's get certainty. We're going to have to agree to a contract or let him walk at the end of the season. Would I like to have a good feeling for how good Pat Williams is going to be before I make that decision, a better feeling than I have now? Like, yeah, absolutely. So if that's the direction you go, then I think, yeah, you, you start trying that. Be like, hey, we're going to run you out in this unit. Your job in this unit is to do this. Absolutely. If if you're going to try and make the play in, though, and you're like, our goal above all else is just wins, I don't think that's going to contribute to the most wins. Um, Dean, Doug, ask a question. Uh, I thought the Bulls couldn't shoot. That's what I was told. I thought they had no shooters. They couldn't shoot. You got Pat shooting 45% for the three. You got Kobe White shooting 50% for the three. Um, Caruso. By the way, Caruso, can we fucking end this all-star bullshit with Caruso? Can we just not mention that anymore? Why? What, what is this going on? Like, him being an all-star. Can we just not do that, entertain that? This is Chicago. We know what the all-star is. I love Caruso. But I digress. So it's the Kobe talk now, man. Talking about voting Kobe in the all-star game. <laughs> It's not awesome. They have 10 points a game. But anyway, so tell me, why are the Bulls shooting much better? If they can, if they couldn't shoot before last year, they couldn't shoot, they couldn't shoot earlier this year. That's something they can shoot. Dude, it's the ball movement. People are getting more touches, more opportunities, better spacing, moving the ball around. To me, it's that simple. I don't I don't know if y'all agree, but ball ball move moves much better. People get the you touch the ball more, you get a better feel for it. You got more confidence. Put the ball up. Better looks. Yep. I mean, better looks too. The ball movement. It's what you said, the ball movement. But the ball movement generates good looks. You know, when you when you have one guy holding the ball for a long time and there's not a lot of movement, if that guy passes the ball, the guy is passing to probably isn't wide open, you know, more times than not. And, and you're getting better looks. Um, and then Kobe White just being on an absolute heater. Like, if you went and look at the Bulls, I just opened it up now because you, you mentioned the Bulls three-point percentage. Like, if you look at the guys on the team, Alex Crusoe shooting 45% from three, albeit in pretty low volume, is, you know, unbelievable, much better. Uh, and Kobe White shooting 42% from three. No one else is above 40%. Like, it's not like they've got a bunch of great shooters historically, but in a stretch, it's just the ball movement, getting open shots, getting better shots. I think is uh, is what's happening. Yeah, I got to go back to what Tori Craig said is that you know where you're getting your buckets. Yeah, you know, you know, you know where your shots coming from nowadays. I had a question. It was, yeah, it was a good question. I swear to God, it left my brain. It was an outstanding question. Then I got, you know, <laughs> I got it's got entranced with the spectacular answer, and I'm just like, wow, that, that it, I, I, and I lost it. It's actually that I just talked too long. I, oh, I, I, I know now. I stopped talking. I know. I got. I got. I got. I got. Stop talking. <laughs> So, so 
out. So in my meeting rants on a, on, a, on my little best, uh, SMS thread with um, Adi, um, I was like, I was like, man, ten games in the season, and the Bulls quit already. You know, was all what was all this about? You know, bring it back, and already you give it up on the season. And then I was like, wait a minute, I said we. Wait a minute, hold up. The front office didn't give up about the season. The only person that kind of gave up about the season with like first 10, 10, 15 games was Zach Levine. The front office has always said, we're going to run, <laughs> run into the ground until the wheels fall off, until we get it right. So, question D, do you feel the front office has changed their tune? Even though I know that boys are playing well, they probably got this is where we should have been playing three years ago. Right or two years ago, right? This is how we wanted to play. Uh, this team. Um, uh, do you think the front office has given up on this? Um, this this this, uh, this roster, or has it just been Zach that gave up on it? Well, I think it's obvious that Zach checked out. You know, the front office. I don't think they can. Get, I don't think they have. They can afford to give up on this roster. I don't know how many much more opportunities this front office will have. Okay, for the record, I don't believe a lot a lot of the stories that come out of like the Bulls camp about like the front office and about the confidence in the coach and the job security and all that stuff. I don't know how many more how many chances this version of the front office will have. You know, so I don't think they can afford to give up on this roster. You know, they threw something in the air and something is working now. So they they're all all for it, you know. You know, did they expect this? Was this a part of the, the master plan to put the ball in Kobe hand and this dude is going to become a t- 25 a game night? You know, 50, 40, 90 guy? No, but it works. And they didn't I don't, draft I don't, him. <laughs> well, they didn't draft him. But how many more opportunities do you think they have? Good question, yeah. D. And uh, I, I, and can you give them a – because the, well, they missed a lot of draft. <laughs> Let the Bears miss it on, uh, on, on, on eight – Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the draft, and want to know why they can't find a quarterback because you keep that drafted correctly. So, what 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 grade? I don't think I've asked this question. Give out give out grades, but you know, let me know what grade you, you would give the front office um, in terms of drafting because they missed out on a lot of people, and I don't know, have they hit on any, have they hit on anybody in the draft? I would That's say like a, it's like an F. <laughs> I don't know that I would give them an F per se just because they've not had enough opportunities specifically in the draft to give them an F for. Mm-hmm. Like the draft is such a wild crapshoot. And Patrick Williams was still, I don't want to say he's like the right pick, like Tyrese Halliburton was the right pick, but he was pick 12th. Like, See, I, don't like, like, eight, I don't like eight, that. I don't, I don't like that suit because I'll be back to that. I hit that that's, but your job is to, that's what you get paid to do. Yeah. So but so, I, not me. I like, I like you know, to just I, put it this way. The draft's a crapshoot. Someone used this. I think it was Bill Simmons used this a long time ago. He was mm-hmm. describing the 2003 draft, which was, to remind everyone, LeBron James, then Darko Milicic, Carmelo Anthony, mm-hmm. Chris Bosh, uh, then Dwayne Wade. So describing those first five picks, he's like, I got a bag. Inside the bag, there's a billion-dollar bill a hundred million dollar bill, a five hundred million dollar bill, like a fifty million dollar bill, and a penny. And the Detroit Pistons reached in and pulled out the penny. 
And so looking at the Patrick Williams bag, you had like eight singles and a hundred million dollar bill in there or whatever. And we picked out one of the singles, but like when everyone around you is also not good, like, yeah, okay. It would have been great if we picked Caliburton, but it was like, when you look at guys as prospects, they all things like if this works out, they'll be good. If this doesn't, they won't. And Tyrese Halliburton had those things too. And so he oh. was the one that worked out out of those guys. But it was just like as a prospect, I think that's a like a, it's a difficult thing. And I'm going to now the flip side of this is with Dalen Terry. Every guy around Dalen Terry after him was like a really good player you'd rather have than Dalen Terry. And then you're like, Dalen Terry was like the third best player on a lousy college team. Like it was a, he was a sophomore. And so it wasn't even like really young and doesn't have any like superstar traits. Like, what are you doing there? Like, hmm. like why did you draft a guy who didn't score 10 points a game on a mediocre team? Like that's not that but young. And it's no superstar traits or athleticism. So Dalen Terry, I actually blamed them a lot on because it was just nonsensical. Like even, Pat even Williams, I get it even if it didn't work out, like I get it. And then the rest of the picks, it's like, okay, Marco Simonovic, they needed a draft and stash guy. He was the only one available. Who cares? I would assume it worked out really well, but he was like graded out as a first rounder and they got him like eight picks into the second round. So like, yeah, okay. You picked him, but that wasn't like a difficult choice either. Sort of like the opposite of the Patrick Williams situation where like Patrick Williams was like a random shot at like a, who knows. And then Iowa was like a kind of like a sure thing that shouldn't have fallen that far. So to me, I don't. I, I give them an F overall, just to be clear. Like, I hate <laughs> okay. office. but on the drafting thing, like, I don't think they've had enough attempts, and I don't hold the Halliburton thing against them. I hold Dale and Terry against them a little bit. They got to screw up like another two more times for me to feel like these guys just don't know what they're doing in the draft. I do. I hold Halliburton because, like, I I thought Halliburton was going to be a good player. <laughs> If, if you love Paris Halliburton in the draft, I totally I love him, but like, I like if, him better than Pat Williams. If like I like everyone better than Pat Williams, like, like, was, like yeah, it's like that, that was kind right? of the thing. Like before the draft, he was like on all the boards. Like if you follow Draft well, Draft Express is gone now, but like NBA Draft at Net, ESPN's draft board, CBS, like all of them. Like Patrick Williams is somewhere in like the twelve to eighteen range. Like all right, here's a guy who was, and here, here's what I'd say about Patrick Williams and why I'd be a little against him. In high school, he was the 39th rate rated prospect in his class. So by default, you should view him as the 39th best freshman, like going in, right? Like if you, mm -hmm. it just the college year didn't happen, he'd be the 39th guy. So then what did he do to college to improve that? Scored less than 10 points a game, didn't start, didn't mm -hmm. dominate. Mm -hmm. Like then how does he move up to the fourth pick in the draft <laughs> from being the 39th best freshman. Like, okay, clearly, maybe some of those guys, like, I don't know what happened to the all 38 ahead of him. Maybe a bunch of them played really badly and just like, whoa, no, that was just not right at all. And some of it is just traits. You're like, even though they were good college prospects, that doesn't necessarily make them great NBA prospects. And maybe mm -hmm. Pat Williams excelled in the, the physical things people want out of NBA prospects. But still, it's like an insane leap for a guy to be 39th in his high school class to go to fourth pick in the draft and not have a good college season. Right. Like to not actually play well in college, like to come off the bench, not put up great stats, like not show like a bunch of amazing skills like that. That is actually like really wild that he moved up that way. And even ignoring that we took him fourth, like he still moved up to like <laughs> top 15 on all the boards. 
like all the the draft evaluators still had him top 15 too so like other people also whatever reason thought this made sense so i always thought that was a little weird and dalen terry is the same thing like score less than 10 points a game in college a sophomore not on a great team didn't have this huge role like how is this guy a first rounder like it just doesn't make sense to me um so I get it. Like, I get why you like Halliburton more. I don't blame them quite as much. I do blame a little bit for taking Pat, except that outside of Halliburton and maybe uh, Devin Vessel, like, Pat might be the next best guy I take out of all those guys yeah. right now. Like, really, like, like you don't want Killian Hayes, do you? Like, Anyeke Akanwu? Like, like, all these other guys that are sort of in between are also mm -hmm. just complete trash players. Is Isaac Okoro any better? Like, I know Fred Pfeiffer thinks so, but, you know, like... <laughs> But like so, I like I don't know. I don't even, I don't hate that pick so much. Even today, I don't hate it so much um, as as you could, I guess. Even missing on Kessler too as well. You big man, you know. Also, you know, I do like I do like Phillips. I like I hate I don't say, I, Look, I like Terry. Ter, Terry seems like a nice guy, but every time Terry's on the floor, I'm like, why the hell Phillips ain't on the floor? <laughs> I don't know why you're playing Terry, but can you please don't play Terry? <laughs> I don't know why they picked up his option. I just thought like. He's a bad contract next year at $3 million. Like, just let him go. It doesn't look like he's going to flourish at anything. Like, you know, he may become a very good three-point corner shooter, you know, a nice little player, but I don't see the upside in him. Phillips comes in, looks like a natural NBA player. I don't know his selling, but he looks like he belongs on the floor. Why the hell he's not playing? I don't know. Maybe he's stuck in a practice. I, mean, I don't know what. I don't know why he's not playing. But I do love Phillips when I see him on the floor. I hope it becomes somebody special. because uh, they they've been so, you know, they gotta get some they gotta draft somebody that becomes something. <laughs> like how many how many chances did you get? Like at some point you just gotta I be like, y'all don't want was a good pick. I think Phillips is a good pick. But that was obvious, right? Well that's what I'm saying. Well, I, Phillips, you don't obvious. know yet. You don't know so yet the, with Phillips, right? Yeah, yeah you don't I, know yet. I think Phillips was a good pick. I really like that pick. I like I love him. I love him. I, I, like, hope, I, I hope. like what I've seen. Like as of today, I feel like confident with that pick. Okay. And, you know, even Pat Williams, I think, has a chance to be a good pick relative to most of the guys taken in his area. Like, if he beats out each of the next six guys drafted after him. Yeah. And then, like, you're like, all right, well, maybe a couple guys after that were better. But if he beats out the next six guys drafted after him, which is a legitimate possibility. Yeah. It's hard for me to say, like, oh, well, that pick sucked. Like, right. it wasn't the best pick. Right. But it wasn't like, oh, you're just completely incompetent. What's a Dale yeah. and Terry? Right. <laughs> like next Dale and Terry was a complete incompetence. But I don't know. There's no defense. There's like I guess like they just went with their gut. Like and I, but I don't know. Yeah, that one. That one I got Andy, no words for. And my brother watches college. I remember he. I don't watch college basketball as much as he does. I remember when he drafted Dale and Terry. He was like, they drafted that dude. <laughs> 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 He's like, Chris, I watched him play. No. <laughs> <laughs> trust me, no. I was like, I trust you. You watch college more than I do. I trust you. Yeah. So he, he's like, nah, nah. Yeah, man. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much chance he's gonna get drafted, indeed. But uh, I, I, well, I surely it, hope Dorian. You know, in general, to go, to go back to the original question. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know how much time this this front office have. How many more mistakes they can survive? You know. So I, I, I don't think they have a choice but to to have confidence and, and give 100% behind this, this version of this team. Now, you know, to, to be fair, they, they did, you know, get Zoe and it wasn't their fault that Zoe, um, you know, he did have history of being injured. True. But Zoe was nice. The team was nice for that period of time. He was on the team. 
But that was like years ago. <laughs> and there's other things to be judged on. And, since the uh, since the Zoe that that summer when we brought in Zoe and Demar, um, and you might notice, Duck, how many draft picks did we lose since then? Did we give away? Whether it was a bad gave, trade or anyway, we gave away three firsts altogether. We still owe one to San Antonio, so we gave away number seven, which was Franz Wagner, number eleven, which was Jet Howard to Orlando, and we still owe uh, San Antonio our uh, it's top eight protected. I want to say, or maybe top ten, then top eight. This year, um, it's this not this summer? year. Starting in twenty twenty five, so we have our okay. pick this year for sure. Um, and then next year we we potentially owe that pick. And then we also maybe the flip side of that is we have a conditional first coming from Portland, um, if they ever make the playoffs again. Oh yeah, uh, which you know they get a long rebuild. One thing I want to piggyback a little bit on what you said, D. You mentioned like I don't know how many chances this front office has left, and and I think you might be right. One thing other people would say is that. The Reinsdorfs have been yes. amazingly patient with general managers. Um, but I'm going to throw this one counterpoint into that because I think that's like a really common thought. And I'm a little bit more on your side with this. Um, one, Jerry Reinsdorf is maybe not calling the shots. I think he's like 87 now. Like it really may be Michael Reinsdorf. And we don't have as much understanding as how Michael may feel about the team as we, we do Jerry. Two, right. while Jerry Reinsdorf was incredibly loyal and maybe that got passed down to Michael as well, he had like long-standing relationships with Jerry Krause, you know, through the White Sox days and mm. other stuff. John and Paxson, then a huge yeah. amount of early success with Jerry Krause, building six titles. And then with John Paxson, you know, he had this love of Paxson as a player. Then Paxson was a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. And and those guys like people who kiss the ring and probably Paxson and Krause both kind of did that. A little bit. Maybe Arturis does too. I have no idea. But a long history of success with those guys, you know, Paxson is a player. And then Paxson is a GM. I mean, I know everyone like just loves to hate him. <laughs> but like through 14 years, and he took over the team in a way, way worse state than Arturis Karnaschovas did. In his first 14 years, they are 500 or better 13 times. Mm. Like the year he took over, they, or maybe it's 15 years. The year he took over, they didn't. They were awful. And then the year that uh, they got the Jarek Rose draft pick where they won 33 and 49 games and when the team just completely quit, they weren't. But every other year, for like there's like 13 out of 14 seasons, I think after that first rebuild year, they were 500 or better. And then they made the playoffs, I think, 12 of those 14 years. Like that's a long run of success, whether it be high level success or not. But Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, he just loves getting into the playoffs every year. And so from his perspective, like even if it wasn't as much success as fans would want, he was like, yeah, we made it every year. You know, like he was probably thrilled with that. And so mm -hmm. Arturis Karnaschovas on the flip side now, he doesn't have any tenure of success with the Bulls. He has no history or tie to the Bulls. And he made a bunch of aggressive moves with future assets, and he made the playoffs once so far and won one game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I just think it's a different vibe. Like, I don't think necessarily that they're going to look at Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley like, oh, we got to give these guys 15 years. Um, you know, Kraus and Paxson had long histories of success. And it took about, what was that, maybe five years of failure for Kraus and, or four years of failure of Kraus and like four for Paxson before they're like, yeah, now nah, you're out. Like, Arturis is already on two years of failure. And doesn't have the history of success. So I, I don't think there's like a long leash left. 
And Doug, yeah. as evidence, indeed, I went to that game when the Bulls scored one point with five minutes left in the first quarter, and it made a comeback. I, had to, I was a weird ass that I looked at the scoreboard. I was at the game. I was like, "One was it one point? Five minutes? Five minutes ago against Miami? I was like, wow. Yeah, the Miami Heat game. <laughs> the Miami game. I was like, everyone was just stunned. And when I would say everyone, I mean, I looked around the stands and like there were a ton of empty seats. Now, I'm 44 years old, 45 years old. I don't remember turning TV on, going to the United Center with this, this empty pockets of seats on a Saturday game playing Miami. Those season tickets that Jordan sold out are gone. The new fan base don't give a shit. They ain't showing up to the games like that. And and I felt I, I felt unnatural to be in a stadium on like a Saturday night. And <laughs> see, the stadium almost half empty. So if that doesn't, uh, you know, you know, get you kind of like uh, looking at the front office um, a, a little more tightly, um, I don't know what will. Yeah, you know, these guys love selling tickets. They didn't they, sell they, any. They're very, they are very <laughs> business oriented, like the front office. And maybe if, if you guys are not aware, the people who own the Bulls, so people feel like Reinsdorf owns the Bulls. I think he only owns like thirty-seven percent of the team. He is the largest shareholder and he is the chairman of the board or whatever. So he's the decision maker, but he doesn't mm-hmm. really like, like some other owners own like more, most usually you own like more than 50% to mm-hmm. guarantee yourself, whatever. And, and Jerry may have some deal where like, if they sell, he has right of first refusal or what, I don't know, whatever. I don't know about the specifics, but the majority of the owners of the bulls, their wealth is from the bulls they rely on dividend checks from the bulls to live wealthy lifestyles and that's a little bit different than if you're mark cuban and your wealth is from being wealthy and then you thought it'd be cool to own a basketball team <laughs> so you bought one yeah and and that shows and how they conduct their business and how they run things and people are like oh they're cheap they're this or that they're actually like broke compared to most owners like they're super wealthy like compared to the three of us they're just like they're just like dragons sitting on piles of gold but compared to the other owners they're actually not super wealthy and they have a smaller group of owners that make up their thing and so because of that they're very operationally focused on how much money they make this is not going to be a group that's like yeah we'll pay 300 million in luxury tax to win a title like that is not going to happen with this team because of who the ownership is and because of how important the money from the bulls is to them. If you just have just oodles of money and and people will hate them for this, but it's like, like you or me, like if we're deciding, like, should I give money to charity? And, you know, I say, I'm going to give a thousand dollars to charity and that's within my means. That's fine. But if the charity needs like say $500,000 and like theoretically, I could maybe take out a mortgage on my house and I could sell my 401k and I could do whatever and I could give $500,000, but it's really going to put me in a massive financial burden. I sure as hell am not going to do it. Right. (laughs) And that's where this Bulls team is. Like they are not a team that has the pockets, even though they have this big market and all this other stuff, and they made a lot of money from basketball as an ownership group. They do not have the pockets of like these other ownership groups. And that's also impacts some of their decision making. So I looked it up. He owns nine. Owns nineteen percent of the White Sox. 
They're the group that bought Scott Warner and Team. Rastoff Atlanta Group that bought this is Forbes.com, by the way. Later group that bought the Chicago White Sox baseball team in 1981 for 19 He still owns an estimated 19% stake. The Bulls. Six championships and 33 years later, the Bulls are worth $2.5 billion net of debt. Reinstorf still owns an estimated 40% of the Bulls. My 7% was pretty close. Yeah. Hmm. How did Jerry, uh, how did he make his money? Real estate, if I'm not mistaken. Real estate, okay. But I think actually the majority of his wealth, I think, is actually from the Bulls now. Yeah, now, yeah. yeah. Like he made it, but he made the initial because he he bought the White Sox. Probably, really, he made his money by buying sports franchises. It's really how he made his money. I mean, I yeah. guess he made millions investment. to buy these. But even then, like he was not the majority owner of any of them, right? Like he didn't have so much money that he could, you know, he he got smaller stakes of both. But, um, yeah, but he was originally a real estate guy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's a good point. He's the he's the, he's the front man for the Bulls, forty uh, percent. Um, I guess he, I guess the room he's the guy. Jerry, you know basketball, you know people. <laughs> Get it done. Well, and, and maybe it's just like forty percent is still the, like no one else owns yeah. sixty. It's like yeah. thirty other guys that own sixty. So he's still, yeah, exactly. you know, he probably was the one who put the whole group together. And you know, the other people are probably passive investors. A lot of people they don't, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't want to put in the work to do that. And like, what a great return on investment they've all gotten. Especially from a guy who runs it like a business, right? Yeah. Like, like Reinsdorf is running it to make you money. He's not running it to like maximize entertainment value. Um, and and probably his investors somewhat appreciate that. Like, you know, they've they've seen their value go up tremendously. And then the Bulls always make money in profit on the year too. He's never taking losses. Like some of these other teams, like trying to, trying to do whatever. Like he's like, yeah, no, I'll, maybe I'll pay money, but I gotta feel like <laughs> me putting fifty million in luxury tax is gonna get me, you know, sixty million in revenue back. You know, I yeah, think that's how Jerry weighs it. Yeah, the greatest player of all time that was underpaid. Yeah, the probably second best player in the NBA on a team that was grossly underpaid. You, you know, you you know how to handle that that money. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a that's a miracle that those two things happened. And they still want shit sandwiches. There's right, a lot think- of things that are miracles about the Bulls in that era. When you when you like really look back and you understand all of the things going on. Oh my goodness. It's really amazing that that happened. Yeah, like, yeah. Like no, it's I- even more amazing. <laughs> it's super unlikely anyway, no matter how you, you think about like winning six titles, like how many teams have done that. It's like basically across any sport, it's like an extraordinarily rare event for like one core to win six titles. But then when you think of like the massive dysfunction between the coaching staff, the players and ownership and the general manager, it's even more wild that these guys like hated each other. The idea that Jerry Krause told Phil Jackson, you could go 82 and 0 and you're not coming back next year. Crazy. Just insane. Crazy. Can you imagine if that quote came out today, like if you had won six titles and that quote came out today, they would be, he would be assassinated. People would go to his. He would be dead. He would not even like. like <laughs> he could not step outside. He would need a full team security force. Like, the press would have him fired within like like five minutes. Like it just. It's like it's it just such an insane thought that you could even like say some of this stuff. Like it just. And I got it too because everyone just was so mean to Kraus. Like, yeah, I, I totally get like. It, but it's just whole. It's so wild. Like there could be so much amazing dysfunction. Like. 
Jordan punching out teammates and like, <laughs> like, like just all this wild stuff like just happened and they still somehow won. It's just, it's a, it's just, it's even more insane understanding everything that happened in that era. Yeah, it is. And uh, oh, he's gonna be thinking about these stupid ass. No, I shouldn't talk about it. No, well, I get tired. Well, now of, you like, got to bring it up. I don't know so, what you're talking about. So on my YouTube recommended uh, random list, I get these videos pop up now and then. You know about you know they talk about Jordan versus LeBron, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I just laugh at it because I think it's ridiculous. But anyway, so I <laughs> so I don't have to. I wish I played the clip. So anyway, Gilbertinus now has his own podcast, right? And I and I appreciate Gilbertinus. Oh my goodness, I hate all the Gilbertinus. And, and then and then and then like this takes so you know okay. Then I heard his take on the on the good day. And yeah, LeBron. <laughs> his rationale was he gave an example of how great LeBron was because um, it was a playoff game and Brandon Haywood was in the game and he knew he couldn't go to the paint. So he let everyone else eat. And then when Brandon Haywood, but then when Brandon Haywood went out the game, he nodded to the coach and was like, all right, it's time. And then he started attacking the rim. So I was like, He's like, I couldn't even do that. He got his teammates involved. He understood the game mentally. I'm, I'm sitting there like, hold up. Fucking Brandon Haywood interrupted your game? <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. <laughs> Brandon Haywood? Just, just, just like, oh, my God. Carmelo? No. no. Lonzo Morton? No. David Robinson? Uh, no. Elijah Ron? No. Brandon Haywood? Stop this dude. For, dude like, are you insane? Gilbert Arenas, to be... As good of a player he was, has the worst basketball takes, like dude, in the world right now, dude. I but the the, the I don't like. And he wasn't that good. He was overrated to me. He, oh, he he destroyed the Bulls. I had I had mad appreciation for him that a playoff game where he treated the Bulls like they were eighth graders in the playoffs. I mean, he was just like I know we had a bad team, but well, he are, just he was, just like you guys are not on my level at all. Like, why are you playing against me? And this, uh, this who was uh, that's when Skiles was had like Duhan on him the whole series, I right? So. It didn't matter who was on him, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't matter. Gibbert was well, gonna kill anybody on us. Well, to be fair, Luol Dang and Eddie Curry missed that series. Yeah, if you're missing two of your five starting players. I agree, but he was, and, he was, and, he was and, awesome. you know, so that's it's a little, it's not like, said, like, that's not if, if any team is missing two of their five starters in the playoffs, like, who are there the whole year? That helped right. them get that record. Oh. Like that's a pretty big loss. I'm not. I'm not saying we should win a series. I'm just saying that dude looked around. Was like, yeah, really. <laughs> can, can I just? I I gotta tell you this. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I'm sure you remember Chris the tournament of trash of top sixty four reasons why LeBron James is better. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Than than Michael yeah. Jordan. That was my favorite one. Oh, yeah. I still I still <laughs> quote yeah. this all the time. If you have the image <laughs> of the final bracket somewhere on a hard drive, please send it to me. I've like Google search to try and find it, and I can't. I'm like, this is you. this is comedic genius. This is like one of the, this is like my favorite <laughs> podcasting theme in the history of anything I've ever heard. I got to I got to debate one of them. I think I was in the semifinal round. Oh my god! And I got I to pick as the winner. Dirk was just too good. I knew you were going to go with that <laughs> and, one. I knew you were going to bring that one. That's the greatest. That is the greatest <laughs> reason ever. And so, to this day, anytime someone says like LeBron is better than Jordan, I just go, "Yeah, you're right. Dirk was just too good." 
dark horse. I just, just throw that line out there. And they, they, at first they're like, oh, he's being serious. And they're like, wait, what does that mean? And then it, like you, you see like the whole facial expression where they think you're agreeing with them. And then they realize you're mocking them. But it took them a minute to get there. <laughs> and because it took them that long, they have like nothing else to say to it back. It is like the single greatest thing ever given to me as a gift in basketball debate. So I thank you. Wait, well, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I could give you the picture. I love that's my favorite one to do as well because like I want to get in so that so much so bad. It's just the I thought humanity, like I don't want that to me, that to wait to me, you say stuff like that. Like Brandon Hill was so good that the Brown game was thrown off and he had to like facilitate. Like, like that kind of rationale belongs to politics. That's you know what I'm saying? That's arguing against that. Point, that that's man. that's not that's not basketball sports talk that's like false equivalency crap politics stuff i don't want to see that stuff in my sports you know what i'm saying if you're gonna argue something and there's an argument you can't you know i don't need one argument for whatever so many of them against him but like we have to rationalize it because in a playoff game brandon hill was in the paint and he couldn't score in the paint it had to satisfy like give me a fucking break that is the dumbest shit in the world and i'm so tired of these dumbass arguments Dude, yes. I, can't, I can't tolerate Stop Gilbert it. Arenas, man. Like, seriously, I think he's entertaining or whatever, but the shit is just too dumb to come out of his mouth, man. I stopped watching. I, I, I mean, I watched it for a while because I thought it was kind of entertaining. And I got tired of it because, you know, I, you know, I just got, I just got, you know, a little lukewarm to it. Another guy, the, the dude next to him likes LeBron too, but that's not why I stopped watching it. But I just, I'm just I, mean, I, from I like LeBron, dude. I think LeBron at worst. I love is, LeBron. I bought, I, I was poor and I bought Lee Pass to watch this man. <laughs> I, <didn't laughs> I also love LeBron. And like, I hate the LeBron Jordan debate because it's like, I just feel like the people on the LeBron side, you just didn't watch Jordan. That was like, and, you and had if, to be there. <laughs> and if someone, if someone had told me the same thing about Wilt versus Jordan and I'd be like, yeah, no, it's different. Like, but I didn't watch Wilt. And so there's a piece of me where I always say, I never want to too harshly hold an opinion of a player I didn't watch. And so if you start looking at statistically like Jordan versus LeBron, there's like a lot of cases to be made for LeBron. But if you actually just saw all their playoff games and like all this little stuff that doesn't show up in the stats, but basically show Jordan was a stone cold motherfucking killer. killer. And LeBron is like a fucking kitten. Like Dude. he just he was scared of the moment so many times. There's times where LeBron was the killer, but not all the times. There were times where he shrunk from the moment. He passed out of the moment. Times where he looked like he just quit on his team. Like there's just there's like all these gaps and you no. just never saw that with Jordan. Like he That's was going down swinging sixty three points against the Celtics in zero and three, but I'm going down with every single thing I have every single time. And you just you just didn't see that from LeBron. And like if you were gonna, your life is on the line. And there's one <laughs> basketball game to be played, and you got to guess which LeBron is gonna show up or which Jordan is gonna show up, and you got them both in their prime. You are motherfucking taking Michael Jordan. You Give know me Michael Jeffrey. You know you were <laughs> gonna take him. It's not even the numbers, bro. It's, it's just like because like it's, it's funny this number. Like there's like like he, he owns like LeBron's not even in the fifty point category. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, he ain't sniffing it. So it's like a lot of stuff. Like it just bothers me, and I just I just don't understand. The See, thought here, process of people. And here's the thing. And people I don't understand it. And, and I, and I love the, I, like, give me the argument. I, I, give me some. Don't give me Brandon Haywood, bro. <laughs> so when people, when people argue, they don't argue apples to apples. You know, they don't. I, I know, I know, I know. It's just, it's just. If you think, if you think about it too, Jordan did. Okay. Second year, he missed 70 games. Take that out. He, that, you know, 
that that don't really count. Even though they still make the playoffs and he still have. Well, no, fifty games every time with the Bulls. He never had fifty point. He, he, right. he missed he missed seventy games his second year. He had to put injury. Then ninety four, he came back. He only played seventeen games. You know that was. So Mike did that all his most of his damage in eleven years. So he really only had five losing seasons when he played with the Bulls. You know he did his damage in eleven years, really. You know, because he won six six out of out of eleven. Well, years. no, they always won. It was always above five hundred. No, he didn't lose the season with the Bulls. No, no, no. I'm talking about championships. But, see, that's why. I'm, see, this was, <laughs> yeah. This is myth around that like, he sucked with the Bulls like one of 50, 50 games. No, they, with brothers, man. They, they like, made the year, they made the playoffs every year. Right, but like one year. <laughs> no, no, every year, even his rookie. I thought he, okay, I thought he missed. He never one missed. Year. No, they never missed the playoffs. Like, so it's like this. Yeah, I know. I don't know. It just it just frustrates me. I thought the world was different. You know what I'm saying? I thought I thought the sky was blue, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought Michael Jordan was the goat, and I thought there was like in stone written by God, and apparently. You know, people had brain cramps or something and wants to pretend something's not what it is. I don't, my, I need therapy about this because it annoys me. I, like I said, I expect this in politics. I expect certain things. I don't expect certain things in sports I know to be true, <laughs> that I thought were true. And people try to change stuff. And it's just like, you really, really annoyed me. I remember I never got watched a video. And I'll be ending on this. I think before I watched a video on YouTube, some young kid watched, you know, the videos. All right, I'm going to watch Jordan see how good he is. You know, he's a LeBron fan. He says all these amazing highlights of Jordan. Wow, that was good. He looked at the camera. He says, "That's what two of these videos. One guy said, well, can he shoot? Now, Matt Jordan is already the best jump shooter in NBA history. He just is. Mid-range. Probably the best. He's the best one. jump shooter in NBA history. Steph's the best three-point shooter, and Jordan's the best jump shooter in NBA history. He literally right. didn't know that. He looked at the right. camera. Then I had another guy watch the video, turns to the camera and goes, well, could he play defense? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> what is the world coming to when you question if Jordan played defense? You don't know this on ball defender of all time. I, I'm just, I just need therapy. I need to stop. I, I stopped watching these videos by the way after a while, but I don't know. I just had to. That get, I just recently watched the Gibber Riddance thing and annoyed the hell out of me because it was so fucking stupid. And I was like, what are we doing with the world? What are we doing? I don't know. I anyway, I think <laughs> I have to get that on my chest. It's just. Just he's choking the playoffs and the finals and like, like it doesn't matter. There's a, there's a running <laughs> joke at my work where people know that if you start talking to me if, about LeBron Jordan being better than Michael Jordan, or sorry, LeBron James being better than Michael Jordan, that I will start talking for like 30 minutes about it. Like I will <laughs> go off. I will not. I will, so like whenever some people will then start off as just like a side joke, like just just casually go by Doug and just say you really believe that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan and see how long you can get him talking for. Nah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> it's just like I'll, I'll go off forever about it, no matter how many times. It gets me every time. Every I, time I, 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 I'm fortunate that my office, every job I had, no one's been a sports fan really but me. It's None of these people are sports fans. They just like to give me a oh. time. They know they oh, know it'll oh. work. Well, <laughs> it will work with me too, by the way. And argument with, yeah. So, yeah, and for the record, I got LeBron number three on my list. And if you had a number I, two, I have LeBron number, number two. I only rate yeah. guys that I've watched play in their prime. And so Jordan is like the oldest player I will put on my list. I saw Magic and Bird play, but I was like a little bit too young to really have mm-hmm. a analytical mind where I could feel like I really know how good or not good they are. So I don't count them. Mm-hmm. So my top three of guys for that I've seen play and feel like I could judge 
are Michael, LeBron, Shaq. And then to me, then that starts getting into a really interesting debate about like where I put Steph Curry uh, because he's like just so incredibly unique in what he does. And it's just like he doesn't have – he has like certain flaws that like – but his strengths are just so amazing. Yeah, this is it's, crazy. I have a hard time figuring out what to do with that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I, he, like in some ways I could be like Steph Curry could be number two. Mm-hmm. Like, but he, then I'm just like, but God, I just – Feel like he can't defend well enough. Yeah, and no. like whatever. That it doesn't matter because you enough, hit, but I'm like, but it doesn't matter if you shoot like threes. a zillion threes at 42. percent Like, does it matter? It doesn't. Yeah, like, I'll, it, it, yeah. I'll run through like my top five real quick. Right. Well, my top six, um, because two through six, if you rearrange them, I'm fine with it. Um, but the reason I put, you know, obviously Mike is number one. We don't talk about that. Um. The reason I put Magic number two, now even though I was too young when Magic was in his prime and all that stuff too, but my father was a different breed. He was a Magic like everything. So mm-hmm. he recorded every game. We had VHS tapes that he used to make us rewatch as like teens <laughs> and stuff to realize how good that dude was. Magic was something special. I put Magic number two. If you put LeBron over Magic, that's fine. Whatever. I put LeBron number three. Now me, my number four guy, nobody agrees with me. This guy has zero weaknesses. The only person that ever had zero weaknesses was Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan did it better than this. Hakeem Olajuwon had no weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, Hakeem, yeah. Hakeem's Hakeem my top three. He's the greatest I, I center could, of all time. I can see it. He, then, I got, then I got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Then I got Kobe at six. If you rearrange that, you know, two through six, well, I'm not mad at that, you know, but – and then I'm coming in with Shaq and Steph and Tim Duncan and, you know – Get like that. Yeah. No, no, that'll probably got, round out my top 10. Uh, yeah, I've been on for like an hour and a half. Yeah, if we real. had 45 more minutes, <laughs> I would use them all to strike Kobe from your list. What? That's a whole show. Hold on, hold on. You can't leave the show like that uh, and have people mad at you want to kill you. <laughs> Tune in next time to see these <laughs> battles dug out as why Kobe doesn't deserve to be on a top 10. And Kobe was number six on my list. I think I'm top five. I don't know. How do you have Kobe above Shaq? They won three titles together. Shaq was the best player in all three. Yeah, I think uh, overall, and even after Shaq, Kobe Kobe sustained and had a better career after Shaq. After Kobe, uh, Shaq couldn't, you know, I mean, and and not that his skill went down. Shaq couldn't stay in shape. Well, but Shaq was like a lot older. Shaq's pre-Kobe career was like phenomenal. Like he got to the the, uh, finals with Orlando. Ran into a team. Yeah, ran into Akeem. Well, he's a little, he was a little too young to deal with Akeem at that point. I think he would have dealt with him better later. Yeah. But either way, I I like Shaq. I like Shaq more than Kobe. I and I wouldn't. But even I do agree. The things to me is like after Jordan, I agree with you a little bit. Like there's a lot of guys, kind of in this tier of like that Jordan. Depending, tier. depending <laughs> what you value, like they're all they're like not the same. It's like really hard to. To compare, you know, an apple and an orange, I guess, in this case, and say like, "Well, I like this this fruit more." But yeah, the, for, the forgotten guy is Hakeem, though, man. He's always forgotten. I, yeah, to, I agree. To Hakeem me, is is always underrated. You're to me, like right when Joel I when I, when I got shot, like I said, that you dug, and I promise I in the show. I think this weird the show. But you guys like it. We talk for another two hours. Yeah, uh, I go as long as you want. So know. so like uh, so like I didn't. I agree. Like I grew up. My, my, I, I didn't watch a lot of magic because I knew what magic was, but I didn't watch them. And so I, when I, you know, started remembering basketball and getting older, I'm like, okay, the Bulls playing the Lakers. 
I get a chance to see Magic Johnson, how great he is. Is he great as Michael Jordan? And I watched this man destroy Michael. Not destroy him, but like, I was like, wow, Magic can ball. <laughs> He's hanging with Michael Jordan. When did Magic destroy Mike? He didn't destroy him, but Michael couldn't guard him one on one because Magic is like 6'9. So that put you know he couldn't guard him. Magic Michael wanted to guard Magic, and Magic just put him in the post like you just short the fuck off me. I'm getting a triple double. And I was when I saw Magic just like be Magic. I was like, oh, he is that great. He is that kind of because I I knew I heard about it, but when I saw him go get Jordan in the finals, I saw what that specialness. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't just like great, but I saw that that bro, okay. Bro, I see the specialist. Magic had a 12 year career, bro. Yeah, and went to the finals nine times. Yeah, I know. I I I I have not been that, and I, I'm like y'all. Of course, Jordan. I like I like how Fred said that Jordan is a huge, a huge chasm, a huge crater. And then like there's everyone else. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what to put in number two. I don't know. I, I love a king. A king was the only guy I saw be Jordan on the court. Remember that San Antonio series when the king was being ball down the court like a point guard and just destroying. He was like, he was Jordan. He would do anything he fucking wanted to do in that game. That playoff series, yeah, and I, I've never seen a guy do that. But Jordan, like, just take like I'm hitting every shot I throw up in the air. I'm above the game, and you can't do anything about it. And I'm going to destroy you offensively and defensively, and I'm just that great. And I've never seen that. He might kind of do that, but King outside of Jordan in the game, you know, yeah. I seen guys be dominant, but like have that special level where it's like your god level. Like he hit that a couple of times. That was much of Jordan, but he hit that, and so I was like, yeah, that's so. I have a problem with Akeem at number two. I didn't see Will play, but Will, of course. So I didn't see him play. So I don't. I don't know. Yeah, but the, I don't I mean, get. In, I don't get into the Wilton Bill Russell. Uh, yeah. Well, but I, we, I, we, my pops maybe watch Kareem too, though, so I can appreciate Kareem. But, yeah, Kareem. Yeah, Kareem too. Yeah. And Doctor yeah. J, he was he was on yeah. Doctor J. Oh, Doctor J was. He's yeah, not I, in my top ten though. Doctor J probably around sixteen. <laughs> I remember. I was at uh, my grandmother's house. I had to be like 11 or something. And it, it was playing old games. And I remember Dr. J. They played the old Dr. J game. And I was like, okay, I get a chance he's Dr. J play. You know, was he really that good in the NBA? And some of the video was chopped off, like cut off in the NBA. And he, Jay was, was like third quarter. He had like 10 points. Like, this dude ain't doing nothing. Like, he, like, he's all right. Fourth quarter, he ran off like 20 points in a row, bro. Fadeaways, hook shots. I was like, what? The, what? Like, like, oh, I see it. <laughs> now I get it. Because he know. just went off. I don't know if either of you guys have ever read it, but uh, Bill Simmons has a book called The Book on Basketball, I want to say, off the top of my head. And he had the basketball uh, pantheon and is like the pyramid of like top <laughs> players. And I wish he would rewrite the book, you know, just to have like a common take on it. Because I want to say it's now like either 10 or 12 years old. Um, and so there's like a lot now that's not accurate in it. And he did an update like in a blog post for how he would rank like modern players, but it doesn't have the depth of it. Mm-hmm. But if you ever really want to get a great feel for the history of all the players that came before all the players you watched, um, it is probably the most well-researched, well-rounded book on the history of, of basketball and the greatness of all the individual players. Uh, there might be a little bit of a Celtics bias to it just because Bill Simmons is a Celtics <laughs> guy. He even addresses this in the forward, but it is a fantastic, fantastic read uh, that gives you a, a really great grounding in all these historical players and their impact and, and why he picked like one versus the other, just incredibly well-researched. So if you're a basketball nerd, like it is, it's one of my favorite books that I've ever read. 
Um, okay. So I'll check just, it out. You know, Bill throw... Simmons is just super annoying, but I'll check it out. He got <laughs> Bill Simmons <laughs> is amazing. At, he went like through Bill a stretch Simmons. where he was awful, but then he's also amazing when he's in, when he's in the right mode. He's really really great. Yeah, he got a lot of knowledge. He used to annoy me a little bit, but yeah, I I could see annoying why ESPN, guy not, then, but yeah, I could get why a guy would like him. He also has one of my favorite quotes, which was like. And this is like way back in the days. Like, and he said he ran into Isaiah Thomas at like a bar, and Isaiah Thomas was like selling him on like uh, getting Eddie Curry and um, Jerome James. And he's mm. like, anytime you can lock up uh, Jerome James and Eddie Curry for a hundred million dollars, you got to do it. And I just said that was just wow. like one of the greatest <laughs> greatest quotes uh, ever oh. described. How stupid that was! But oh uh, my goodness. I I don't I don't like uh I I him it's funny I I listen to a lot of bas- basketball podcasts and um I only listen to national podcasts for the most part but I like Bill Simmons occasionally uh Nate Duncan um those two are are like uh, probably my two favorites and then if I still have a little time left I listen to the Low Post is like the uh yeah. the other one that uh is for me and by the way fellows it's a official we're Official. Seven, seven and three without Zach Levine now. I got a little scared about that that like statement earlier in the show because they're yeah. up by like twenty when I made it, and then like yeah. within three minutes the lead was five. It's like oh, yeah. maybe it's yeah. a too quickly, but I don't know what happened because I've been talking with you guys, but I did see the score and it's uh, about it looks like it went out well. So like LeBron, you know, so I, there's, I, I, you know, I'm in the talk. I, I, I'm in the conversation. But anyway, yeah, LeBron started off pretty pretty hyped. I don't know how he did it throughout the game, but he was. Uh, he looked very sad at the end. I I flipped the game on my TV though. I've not been paying attention, and they just had a screw a shot of him like when they're losing, and he just looked very distraught. Mm. I will, yeah. I, and for all the fun I make of LeBron James, like I, I will just say, absolutely, unbelievably amazing how good he is at his age. So that's all I was gonna bring up. Like because... a top six player in the NBA, probably like top ten player for sure. At like forty, whatever he is, like I mean, it's like it's it's insane how well he has maintained his body. That's how it, he has right played at this like MVP type level where he can still turn it on, still lead a team. Like it is really, really incredible what he's uh, what he's been able to do for as long as he's been able to do it. Yeah. By the way, yeah. at, at age like thirty eight, Michael had better numbers than he did. So you know. Oh come on, get out of here! Michael Jordan did not have better numbers <laughs> no, he didn't. than thirty eight. Twenty five points. Twenty-five points. No, he no, didn't. Like his efficiency was just dog crap. Like, <laughs> that was the if, first year on the Wizards, right? Yeah. I, I don't, no, it wasn't. Yeah, I can't yeah. argue that. Yeah, LeBron. LeBron at the same age. Well, I'll give it to you. Post thirty-four, whatever. Post first retirement for Jordan is just radically better than Jordan at the same age. Jordan's yeah. peak is better for sure. Like the, the case for LeBron is really longevity, and the case for Jordan is peak. Well, and I'm, no I'm, one, no one ever talks about the greatest because of longevity. They only talk for no one's like, "Hey, Cal Ripken was the greatest player in baseball." Like no one because he started like whatever five gazillion games. No one says that. I would, I would so, give you the numbers. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought up baseball. So if we're talking peak only, at the top of his game, nobody was better. Is Ken Griffey Jr. the goat? That doesn't sound right to me. But I don't know anything about baseball, so I'm not going to argue with it either. Dub. What's the question again? Ken Griffey Jr. at absolute peak, best baseball player in history. Uh, I don't know his numbers offhand. 
The eye test says yes. Exactly. He's the best offensive and the best center fielder in the game for 10 years. Oh, dude, Ken Griffey Jr. don't get he don't he don't get the respect respect he deserves. I mean, I just gotta say, I think I'm taking steroid Barry Bonds. Steroid Barry Bonds. Yeah, well, I mean, he actually played. Steroid Barry Bonds was a real guy who played in, yeah. in baseball <laughs> and, and put up numbers and they counted and they won games because of them. Like they walked him like half the time he went up to the plate because they were so scared. They'd walked him with people on base. He broke the game. Like, They'd be yeah. like, there's a guy in first and second. We're just going to walk Barry Bonds. He, he, literally, he, literally, he literally broke the game. He broke the game. Like I just. Barry Bonds was actually a great base runner, too. He used to steal. A yeah, he's 30-35. Pre-steroid yeah. Barry Bonds was a great base runner. Post-steroid Barry Bonds. Was... He, didn't, he didn't have to. <laughs> he got to walk around him really slowly. He's like, well, run. I can home runs. And like, what's the. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch a lot of baseball. I was a huge fan. And then I was a White Sox guy growing up. Yeah, um, and uh, the year that they were going to make the playoffs and then they canceled the World Series because of the strike, I was mm-hmm. just like, like, F it. I am never watching again. Like, my team never goes anywhere. And this year they have a chance and that's gone. And I was, I was out forever uh, after mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love Ken Griffey Jr. is my favorite player growing up. My father um, was a huge like Dwight Gooden fan and things like that. My father actually got drafted by the Pirates in seven. Oh, really? Yeah, he was drafted by the Pirates and he tore his rotator cuff. Um, you know, back in the seventies, that was end of your career. But yeah, he'd been out like six months now. I I know a couple of people on that same boat. It's funny, my way off a of field from basketball now. <laughs> but my my brother's best friend growing up, his brother got drafted by the Mets. Uh, well, and he threw his arm out in college, mm. um, and so he never went anywhere. But he got a full ride to college, graduated, and did okay. Mm-hmm. And then his younger brother also got drafted by the Mets, and then also went to they both went to John Hopkins on scholarships, and also threw his arm out, graduated in college, did okay, never played, but. Uh, yeah, both of them. Both of them. I guess I don't know how the draft works. Where they draft guys and then they still go to college. Uh, yeah, what what are they do- doctors now? With the John Hopkins. I, I don't <laughs> think either of them are doctors, but they. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess they both graduate. Neither no one in their family had ever graduated college before, so they were the first two college graduates, like in their kind of family line. And I, I don't know if it was one of those things, like where sometimes you go, you're an athlete and you're drafted, and they kind of push you through a BS degree, or if they Got uh, some legitimate thing, I, I, whatever. I don't know them that closely, but they 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 ended up doing okay for themselves. Um, and and maybe it was like they, maybe they turned down contracts from the Mets. I don't I don't know enough about baseball logistics to know how that drafted, but they or worked out exactly. But yeah, it seems like that's common for a lot of pitchers, I guess. Which is really my only point is it's like a lot of like high end prospects. You're putting so much weird ass torque on your arm yep. that it's it's pretty common that you you rip something before you. You make it all the way. Yeah, especially at a young age, you're not even done growing. Yeah, yeah, and you don't have yeah. all the musculature there yet. I think it's, yeah. yeah, when you're doing it at a young age, it's probably the highest risk. Like, if you make it to 23, you're probably a lot safer than yep. when you're you're trying to throw it, like, 92 when you're when you're 19. is probably, like, the biggest risk because you don't have all the all of the small muscles built out yet. Yeah, my father, it was sliders and breaking balls, and they told mm. him, stop growing those, you know, you're 18, you know, stop throwing those sliders, stop throwing those breaking balls right now. And he just, that was his bread and butter. He tore his rotator cuff. 
Mm-hmm. That's all right. You had a good life. If you'd have went to the Pirates, went to the Majors, I probably wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's upside to everything. Yeah. But if I show your father for the same way, man. I'll feel the same way, so. I don't know, man. He could have had a different life. <laughs> I'm 35 years at the post office. Wait, 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 wait. What post office did he work at? He was in Clarendon Hills most of the time. Okay. Yeah. Your father went to the main branch downtown. Like He was there for a little bit. But I was thinking when I when I went to your, your dad's funeral. Oh, really? You probably yeah. knew him then. My, my dad, my dad, yeah. Uh, Great show, fellas. I'm trying to find that stat. I, I got stats when he was like 38, so it's like he had been on numbers. It was crazy. But uh, yeah, so great show. Thanks, Dev, for coming out. If the people are still awoke. <laughs> where can they where can they find you? They can they can find me here the next time you guys do a podcast, probably. Um, or uh on the Bulls Beat or the Big Red Bus or on Twitter. Yeah, Doug underscore Bartonis. All right, D. Where can they find you, man? Man, I'm I'm low key, but I'm everywhere. You know, <laughs> D D E E D Jackson eighty two on platforms, but um I'm here, man. You know, I'm working my way back to seeing clear and getting back out there, man. So I'll be around more. I'll be more active on everything now that I'm uh I got some major stuff behind me now. So I'm ready, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm doing well, man. And I'm C Dub. You can find me. I lost was one on Twitter. Every now and then I get angry and tweet something out. Once in the blue moon. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for having us still on your feed. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dan and I would do more shows, man. Uh, we do more shows. A lot of stuff happened in life between us two, I guess. Um, where it kind of, at least for me, I should speak, I should speak for myself. Why I, I didn't really care about talking too much on the microphone, but boy, especially since the Bulls are sucking. So the Bulls are playing better now. And honestly, I want to talk more now the Bulls are enjoyable to watch. Let's do it, man. Yeah. So until next time, fellas. Peace out, man. Peace, peace. Right. Go, Bulls. <laughs>